From the research team at Maybank Kimming, this is Sing Yao and welcome to the ASEAN Speaks podcast, our show about ASEAN capital markets. In this final episode for 2020, before we return in January, we will get some insights from our strategists which markets they prefer and how you as an investor can position for 2021. Currencies is also an important criterion when investing in foreign markets. So we will hear from our FX desk how ASEAN currencies will benefit amidst a low USD environment and firming commodity prices. ASEAN banks have been trending well of late as compared to the medical glove sector. Will banks' performance persist? And based on the latest first Q FY21 results of the glove sector, is the best yet to come. So as herd immunity takes its course from the COVID vaccine rollouts, let us take you through the key current events and catalysts that matter. So hi me, over to you. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, uh, 14 December, 2020. This week, we will go through a string of uh, ASEAN Year Ahead reports published throughout last week, covering macro, equity, FX, and uh, banking sector. Uh, let me start with the macro team uh, that issued a macro Year Ahead at the start of uh, last week. Uh, Habin, if you can share the house views on uh, ASEAN economic outlook in 2021, especially in terms of how vaccine will determine the region's uh, shape and speed uh, of recovery. Hey, hi, morning, Saimi. Um, so as, as said, um, you know, after the worst recession since the Great Depression, the global economy is, is on track for a healthy recovery. For ASEAN, uh, real GDP growth, we're looking for it to recover to about 5.3% next year. Uh, that's a decent uh, recovery after contracting 3.8% this year. But uh, still, for most of the countries, the recovery will be more U-shaped than V, uh, with real GDP returning to pre-pandemic levels only for most of the countries in early 2022. So Vietnam and Indonesia are the exceptions. Vietnam never released into recession. Uh, Indonesia never really imposed very strict lockdowns. But for the other countries, I think it's going to be still uh, you know, a very slow, gradual recovery. Uh, so what's going to drive it is the significant easing of lockdowns and border controls, especially when the vaccines are widely available in middle next year. Uh, but bear in mind that in contrast to past recessions, we, the recovery will be driven more by the services side, you know, rather than manufacturing exports. Bear in mind that manufacturing exports actually um, uh, you know, did a pretty good job this this year. So you know, it will hinge on how fast the rollout of the vaccine and when we can achieve herd immunity. And we're looking for herd immunity really for most of us, Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand, by only the fourth quarter of next year. I think we will realistically be the first half of 2022 for Indonesia, Philippines, and Vietnam, and late 2022 or even later for the rest of the CLMV, you know, the poorer countries. So it's going to be a very obvious, I think, rich, you know, uh, poor country divide or DMEM divide in terms of the uh, in terms of this herd immunity. Uh, most of the studies are showing that the U.S. will achieve herd immunity by the third quarter. Uh, seroprevalence, which is the share population of antibodies, is going to be low across ASEAN. Bear in mind, even in the high-case countries like Indo and Philippines, it's still you know, far less than 1% of the population. So we really need a high vaccine coverage ratio of at least 65 to 70% for herd immunity. And recent ASEAN vaccine purchase so far can only cover about 20 to 45% of the population. At least Malaysia is racing uh, quite far ahead, and uh, that, that's positive. Bear in mind that when a vaccine is available, I think it's the larger domestic markets, you know, like Indonesia, Philippines, where it's, it's probably a game changer, right, given their high infection rates, so allowing the easing of lockdowns. For more open economies dependent on people flows like Singapore, Thailand, where cases are already very close to zero, the benefits will materialize probably only later, as border controls will not be loosened as quickly. 
Uh, recovery also will be driven by you know the the very easy monetary policy and still record low policy rates. So the only central bank we're expecting to cut rates further next year is Indonesia by another 25 bips. I think everyone else will probably keep it on, on hold. Really, we don't expect inflation to be an issue. It will pick up slightly, slightly, but you know, we made at the low end of central bank target ranges and comfort zones. Uh, and bear in mind, most of the fiscal support uh, from the governments are still being extended into the first half of 2021. So that I think will be also be supportive of growth. Uh, just on the risk side, I think you know when markets are overwhelmingly bullish on the recovery trade, probably place to take heed of what could go wrong. Uh, first, the rollout of vaccines and herd immunity could be delayed due to safety and supply chain issues. We've already seen some hiccups, and of course, slow adoption. You know that that could hamper a smooth reopening. Uh, second, markets may be disappointed that the U.S.-China trade tensions do not ease, or actually, on the contrary, worsen under the Biden administration. Uh, third, there is a risk of a premature withdrawal of fiscal support especially given a divided U.S. Congress, and that could short-circuit the global recovery. And lastly, I think questions still remain about the longer-term scarring effects from the pandemic. There is a huge debt overhang. Uh, there is a weak jobs recovery. And some of the border controls could remain permanently, you know, which could lead to circular stagnation. So I think a lesson from the pandemic is just to prepare for an unexpected and a wide range of possible outcomes. Thanks, Habib. Uh, um, I, I want to move on to uh, ASEAN equity. Um, Anand, uh, Macro picture, economic story, is all about recovery uh, on equity set. I guess uh, we should be seeing rebounds in earnings and better ROE uh, next year. Yet, uh, equity research team's uh, 12-month index target is a mixed bag, really. Uh, higher for Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, but lower for Indonesia, Thailand, and India, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, why is the divergence? And uh, in terms of weightings, how would you rank region's equity market and the sector? Yeah, hi. Good morning, everyone. So, you know, just to start off with the equities picture, it's looking very good for 2021. A bit of a Goldilocks scenario. You know, you have a continuing fiscal and monetary stimulus. Even as earnings are recovering uh, sequentially off a relatively low base in 2020. And that's really an ideal sort of scenario for uh, global cyclical plays in, the, in uh, especially. And that includes, uh, you know, value stocks, heavy emerging markets uh, like ASEAN. Uh, and we should also not forget the additional tailwind we will enjoy this year from a weakening U.S. dollar uh, as forecast by our FX team. Now, having said that, uh, you know, the deferring sort of views in terms of upsides for markets uh, across our ASEAN platform is really down to, you know, how fast these markets have rallied and also earnings visibility, which can be quite different uh, for, for different markets. So for certain sort of a lagged markets like Singapore, uh, you know, the valuations are still very attractive. Uh, and as earnings uh, turn, the upside is the highest, uh, among the highest after Vietnam uh, in our basket. And we will find that to be quite reasonable because it is quite a high beta market in terms of foreign flows. But for other markets, and Thailand stands out here, you know, where other markets are looking at about a 30% uh, earnings rebound, uh, in 2021, uh, Thailand is looking at a 6 to 9% earnings rebound in 2021. So obviously for them, given the different makeup of the market, where there's a lot more emphasis on uh, tourism and sort of border reopening plays, uh, the earnings picture remains extremely difficult and it's very difficult to justify uh, much higher uh, index targets, despite a huge influx of foreign funds who are sort of uh, you know, jumping in for the recovery play. So I think that sort of explains, uh, you know, uh, why we have some deferring views across ASEAN. I think we are all sort of risk on in every market, but we're just selective in terms of where that risk on will crystallize in terms of upside. It may not be only at the index level, but it may be at the sector level uh, rather uh, than the uh, index level. So I think overall for positioning, 
you know, I think uh, for value, definitely Singapore, Malaysia uh, still stand out uh, quite nicely. Uh, Indonesia selectively as well. You know, we recently uh, um, reiterated our positive call on property, uh, given that interest rates will continue to come down uh, in 2021 by our forecast. And we would say the same for the Philippines, you know, uh, uh, property, consumer, uh, looking uh, very interesting to us there. Probably the market with the best overall story is still Vietnam, uh, only country with no GDP contraction in 2020, uh, and their banks and infrastructure look good. So yeah, uh, I think my message is, you know, read our ASEAN Plus, you'll see that uh, the views, although all risk on, are most specific to certain sectors rather than just index targets. Right, thanks, uh, Ainan. I'm going to move on to FX, uh, bringing Andy into the discussion this morning. Um, Andy, you are positive on ASEAN currency and actually calling for a big long trade on regional uh, FX. Um, what are the key themes for FX market in, in 2021? And at the same time, what would be the risk uh, to the outlook? Good morning, everyone. Uh, morning, Swami. Um, and uh, season's greetings to all of you. And Happy New Year if you don't get to say that uh, ahead. Um, yeah, so Swami, your question, the three main themes that we have uh, built in uh, sort of our first is this improved medium-term growth and uh, the big long, long trade is an assumption that there will be a, a return to growth normalcy somewhat in 2021 in the second half possibly, a smooth vaccine rollout uh, and then the sustainable uh, recovery trajectory could be uh, supported by fiscal and monetary support still. Uh, so that pro-cyclical proxy uh, story would be positive for FX such as Aussie Kiwi in the de uh, developed market space and a Korean one in the Asia and Japan space. Um, so that's one theme. And then at the same time, there's trade-linked sort of uh, currencies such as Taiwan dollar, Korean won, CNH, and Sing dollar, which, which could see uh, sustained gains if trade recovery fits through uh, to domestic demand. Uh, and uh, amidst all that, you have this low environment uh, with growth recovering from low bases and uh, near-term inflation expectations. Uh, and then you have the hunt for yield. So all that together adds up to this uh, interest of uh, a search for still highest carry in the world, which still remains somewhat in, uh, to some extent, to some extent in Asia, uh, including INR, IDR, uh, Ringgit and CNH. So that's one, one theme. Uh, the other theme that I want to focus on is in terms of the reflation themes, uh, which we could see to see some, continue to see some um, bias uh, remaining intact on that front. Um, and, and it also supports the commodity story as well uh, because we're expecting industrial metal prices uh, to continue to be supported somewhat with the infrastructure uh, support from uh, China uh, hit start in the recovery. Uh, you could see further gains in other commodity prices such as oil potentially in 2021. All that bodes well for Asian currencies like, such as Aussie, Kiwi, uh, Canadian dollar and all, of course the ringgit front. But the third theme I think which uh, we have been calling uh, whether dollar downside story still remains. Our view is I think it would, but be somewhat modest. We maintain our bias for dollar downside play uh, because this is key because most of the bilaterals that we're talking about against Asians are usually dollar Asians. Uh, so uh, the story on the dollar downside play still remains somewhat because we think the um, uh, vaccine progress uh, would sort of uh, unwinding of the dollar summer haven uh, demand uh, would be supported somewhat. Fed's commitment to the dovish bias will remain. And then there's a reallocation of uh, reserves out of US dollar as well. So that I think will remain. That could actually, in our, in our view, trade weighted in dollar index could see a further 5% decline in 2021. Uh, so that's our third theme. And I think the US dollar uh, story would sort of remain. The risks to our sort of themes are few. 
Um, I think the global growth sputtering um, in, in the midst of uh, risk of uneven vaccine rollout in Asia and also globally uh, could actually impact uh, not just growth, but eventually uh, cascading down to commodities and potentially oil, which, uh, which is sort of built in into our forecast assumptions. Second is, uh, Harbin has highlighted earlier about China risk. Uh, beyond US-China tensions uh, impacting trade and impacting our forecast will be the COVID waves if it does happen again in Asia. I think China, would, uh, with any lockdowns, would be impacting growth uh, somewhat. Third is the US tightening much earlier than expected. Uh, so the risk of environment might come on stream, and if that happens, the dollar might strengthen in a sustained way into uh, some parts of 2021. It would impact our assumptions of, of carry plays into Asia, uh, pullback of uh, portfolio flows into risk markets as well. And then finally, uh, another risk would be in terms of vaccine distribution. So if vaccine distribution and its efficacy surprise on the upside, this is on the flip side, if the vaccine distribution and um, efficacy surprise on the upside, meaning much more efficient and much more effective, uh, it could actually surprise on the upside. So some of our forecasts could actually be uh, below expectations. So it could actually be much stronger. Asia upside would be much stronger than expected. So those are some of the risks, both on the downside and on the upside. Uh, so I mean, I'll stop there. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Um, just want to check with you. What's what's the, uh, I mean, with regards to your uh, pound sterling euro forecast, what's the underlying assumption on Brexit deal within UK and EU, and and what would happen if situation is not in line with that assumption? Yes. So that's one theme. That's is that's a uh, UK specific theme. Um, as you mentioned just now, uh, news over the weekend mentioned that the Brexit negotiation will be extended uh, beyond this weekend. Uh, it, it's the, the dinner between the parties last week didn't materialize, so it's been extended. So there's still some hope on that front, but uh, you highlighted as well. Uh, but I think I want to add on that the fishing rights and the competitive level playing field for businesses to operate in for EU is still not resolved. Uh, our assumption is that there would be a, a final sort of um, uh, uh, assumption that there will be a trade agreement uh, reach. Um, and as you look at our forecast, uh, we are expecting forecast to end about 140 and up, even up to 135 this quarter. So the risk is uh, there's a nodal Brexit, so our, our forecast would be significantly affected. But the cascading effects onto other currencies probably will be probably onto euro front and probably some risk of sentiment uh, to some extent, leading to some dollar upside affecting some of our forecasts. Uh, thanks, Andy. Um, I want to move on to uh, Tilan. Um, I think there's two reports published by uh, Singapore side. Uh, first is Singapore Year Ahead for Equity Outlook and Strategy. And um, to learn uh, what are the key trends that underpins your investment thesis and basically what's the sort of a sector and stock picks. Thanks, Wami. Seasons greetings, everyone. Um, it's needed to say things were bad in Singapore in 2020, uh, but we did see several trends emerging or accelerating uh, because of covid that gives some medium-term uh, margin and volume advantages to Singapore companies. Um, we isolated four of them. Uh, first is Singapore strengthening its hub status, also the rapid digitalization of both companies as well as customers, uh, strategic ESG integration into businesses as well as the financial sector, and innovation using tech enablers such as 5G, AI, and data. Uh, we are calling these rainbow trends and think sectors such as consumer, financials, industrials, REITs, techs, uh, and telcos will benefit going forward. 
2021, though, is still going to be pretty volatile. Uh, there is still a lot of uncertainty surrounding when we will reach herd immunity, uh, the levels of fiscal support, as well as regional stability. Also, the massive liquidity that is sloshing around will amplify market movements uh, both ways. Uh, from a sector basis, we are negative on banks, consumer, gaming, developers, and industrials, while we are positive on tech, telco, land transport, plantations, and REITs. Uh, we've raised our 12-month SDI target to 3282 from 2995, which is uh, almost where it is now. Uh, and our stock recommendations uh, seek to balance growth, uh, especially from uh, mid to small caps, uh, as well as uh, put some defense in as well. Uh, so from that basis, topics are uh, Singapore Exchange, Singtel, Comfort, Delgro, AEM, Franken, Venture, First Resources, Wilma, Arit, and MLT. Thanks, Thailand. Uh, I guess a very sort of a still balanced approach in terms of strategy, combining growth, value, and defense. But of the four themes that you mentioned, how would you rank them in terms of which are the low-hanging fruits, quick wins, and which are going to be more like a positioning for a sort of a longer-term trend and development? I think the, the lowest hanging uh, is the rapid digitalization that we saw. I mean, I think a lot of businesses, especially in the SME sectors, uh, you know, who normally would not have gone uh, digital, uh, were forced to go digital. And also customer segments that normally would not have uh, gone digital were forced to go digital. So suddenly you have this uh, huge amount of new data uh, that uh, co companies and banks and uh, most of the financial players uh, have to play with. So I think there'll be a lot more in terms of uh, more focused products a lot more individualized products, a lot more higher margin products uh, that can be sold on the back of it. And I think the second area is actually the ESG integration part. Uh, if you look at it, uh, a lot of companies are really starting to think about how do we actually benefit from ESG? How do we actually reduce our funding costs using ESG? Um, and a lot of those questions, again, uh, got started they started to get answered uh, with the lockdowns and as companies started to re-strategize. So again, I think that's an area where you will see a lot more um, lot more spending in as well as a lot more impact coming through as well. Um, great, Dylan. Um, there's also the ASEAN uh, banks here ahead uh, report. Sector has run up quite a fair bit on vaccine-driven economic recovery story. Uh, but uh, your rating is kind of upgraded to neutral, suggesting a mixed bag of kind of situation here. Can you elaborate on the house view for the region's banking sector? Yeah, so I mean, when you look across the banks in the region, uh, they've re-rated 21 to 46% since October. Uh, except for Singapore and Indonesia, though, uh, they've still underperformed their home markets year to date. Uh, but as we head into 2021, uh, we do expect the operational uh, recovery momentum to pick up, especially in India, Vietnam, Indonesia, and Malaysia, as lockdowns improve and more and uh, our own uh, more positive GDP outlook gets built in. Uh, Singapore and Philippines may still struggle a bit, um, given the fact that their NIMS are a little bit uh, tighter, um, and there's also slower non-interest income. Regionally, we need to be cautious as a lot of the recovery across the region is predicated on populations reaching herd immunity, allowing for border openings and wide economic activities. Uh, this means that asset quality risks remain high and visibility remains low, especially because of a lot of the moratoriums that are still in place. Uh, even when you take 
the moratorium support uh, in, uh, into account, NPLs in Indonesia, India, Singapore, and the Philippines are set to exceed GFC levels, while provisioning in India, Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore are set to be lower than the post-GFC recapitalization levels. On balance, so given the prospect of growth, we've upgraded the sector outlook to neutral. From a valuation and potential surprise basis, uh, our relative weightings for regional banks are overweight on Vietnam and Thailand, neutral in Malaysia, Indonesia, India, and underweight Singapore and Philippines. Uh, none of the stocks are deep value anymore. Um, so a, a lot of our stock selection is mostly based on growth as well as balance sheet quality. So uh, top picks are mostly biased towards uh, banks like BJBR, Mandiri, Hong Leong, K-Bank, RHP, TCP, TMB, and VCP. Thanks, Dylan. We have Yen Ling with us uh, this morning. Um, so basically, we're going to talk about uh, glove sector and specifically on top glove uh, first quarter FY21 results. So um, Yen Ling, uh, first, can you please run through uh, the result? And secondly, I think just um, I want to uh, get your opinion a bit. I mean, notwithstanding the ongoing issue of COVID-19 infections and operational disruptions uh, at their plants, uh, why you think uh, the best is yet to come for the company, especially with vaccine uh, coming? Hi. Uh, on top gloves, results, uh, results, it was very good, uh, but best is yet to come because um, ASP is still on the rise. It has yet to peak. Uh, we are looking at ASP for gloves right now, nitrile gloves is around 120 for the normal orders. Uh, spot price is uh, 150 and some uh, as high as 180 for top gloves. So um, overall trend for ASP is still going up, uh, mainly because serious shortage uh, around the world. Um, the sector has sales lead time of at least 12 months. So for the next one year, sales volume is uh, more or less secured for them. Um, and outlook is very strong uh, for all the glove players based on, based on their, their estimates. They are still projecting for demand to outstrip supply for the next three years. Demand will not drop after uh, COVID or vaccination uh, because um, firstly, in 2021, we are looking at uh, restocking for all distributors and hospitals and also strategic uh, uh, reserve for the governments, uh, which are holding almost uh, across the whole supply chain. Almost everyone is holding close to zero inventory. That's why this restocking will support the demand for the next one to two years. On top of that, there is also a structural demand growth. Uh, countries that uh, have a very low uh, usage per capita now will be using more. So what we saw from the pandemic before, say for example, like SARS and H1N1, demand doesn't did not drop. Uh, it continued to grow every year. And thirdly, uh, it's also because strat uh, government strategic uh, reserve building uh, building. So these are the three uh, key factors that will support demand for the next uh, at least two years. And uh, looking at supply side, uh, 
because right now uh, capacity is building up for the next uh, two, three years, there will be a lot of capacity being planned. But the key constraint here uh, to ramp up the capacity lies in the constraint of uh, raw material supply. So this nitro raw material supply NBR uh, plant, it takes uh, at least two years to build for a greenfield plant. So that actually um, will deter new capacity. So for this new capacity, new raw material supply that comes out, the existing glove players has actually already booked most of the new capacity. So they leave very little uh, supply for the new players. The new players, if they really want to supply um, produce gloves, they will need to most likely produce latex gloves. Hence, nitrile gloves comparing to latex gloves, um, margin for nitrile gloves for the next three years will most likely be better than latex gloves because less competition. And uh, markets like US and Europe, uh, they mostly use uh, nitrile gloves. Hence, there is advantage uh, for nitrile gloves. Uh, our positive view on the sector is mainly because of valuation. Um, we are already very prudent. Uh, although uh, the glove players think the the, uh, the the ASP was there elevated for at least the next 12 months, in our projection, we are already assuming uh, ASP to come down from middle of uh, 2021 and we are projecting for ASP to come down every year 2022-2023. So even based on that valuation, it's still very reasonable. We are looking at, uh, for the next two years, we are looking at uh, below 12 times PE for the sector. Uh, the highest of the range, uh, 12 times, is uh, Hartalega, and that is uh, the ESG premium that they have for for other players uh, that we cover, like uh, Top Glove, Kosan, and Sri Trunk, uh, they are all below 10 times PE in 2022. So we think earnings may only normalize in 2024 when, when demand uh, actually, uh, sorry, when supply uh, finally catch up with demand in 2024. So you will continue to see good earnings uh, from the glove players for at least next six months. Uh, stronger Q on Q earnings, it may come down uh, after that, but it will still stay high, high a lot higher than pre-COVID. I'll stop here. Thanks, Enli, uh, for the uh, very comprehensive detail run two of the sector outlook. Um, it's already 8.30. Um, I think I um, just want to say that uh, this is the last call uh, for the year. Uh, we will be back on 4th January next year. So in the meantime, stay safe, season's greeting, and wish everyone a happy new year. Thank you. Bye-bye.